do something that you have been asking me to do since before we even started making podcasts today. Ooh, okay. What? You have been asking me. Because I've asked a few topics. You have, but one is you're super persistent about, and it's, Tracy, please do one on insane asylums. Oh, yeah. Okay. I do ask that quite a bit. A lot. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I do. Because. It freaks me out. They, yeah, and. Yeah, and the history of mental health and the history of just the progression of all of it is very, very scary in the United States. Some of the shit we used to do. it really is. Well, not used to. Some of the stuff we still do even is like, ooh, I don't know. (laughs) I know. That's why one of these days I want to cover... um... Freud? Like, in general? (laughs) Seriously. Um, But Kennedy, the sister. Yeah... Oh, yeah. you have it in here? Oh my gosh. No, I, I don't. I'm oh. not talking about it today because that's like, excited. oh. It's some, crazy. Some of the stories are like whole different things, right? Mm-hmm. Mental illness is something that I am a huge proponent of. I don't think that there's enough attention to it. I don't think, I think that it's discarded. I think that people don't take it seriously. I think that people overplay the words, overuse the words, don't understand the significance of the words. One of the things that drives me the most most crazy, it's, I hate that word. Since we did the women killers episode, I'm really conscientious now of using the word crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> I'm not a fan of it. But one of the things that drives me the most crazy is how people misuse the word antisocial. Yeah, like I've said that before. I've said that I'm yeah. antisocial because I am a big fan of my house and I'm a very big fan of not leaving my house. That's not what antisocial means. Antisocial. What if I don't like people that much? That is not I talk anti- to you. That is not antisocial. Antisocial is actual criminal thinking. Oh. So when people say, oh, I'm so antisocial, I'm like, oh, are you? Really? Tell me Come more. Come here. Let's talk more. about this. <laughs> right? Because it's not that you don't want to be around people. That's, that's what is more that like then? What's wrong with social me? anxiety. Oh, I do not. I, I'm that, fine listening. Tons of people listen to us on our podcast. I am not fine with leaving my house and having a conversation with humans. Yeah, that's more social anxiety than it is. It's vastly different things. But people say, oh... She's so antisocial. She doesn't want to go out tonight. No, antisocial is actual criminal thinking. Wow, all right. Okay, So anyway, so this is what we're doing today. You down? I'm down for it. Perfect. I'm Tracy. I'm Samantha. This is The Suspended Sentence. Boom, boom, boom. Okay, mental illness in the United States, like I just said, very, very common, very overplayed. Lots of people talk about it. People do not take it seriously enough, in my opinion, and I'm sure that it's a general consensus clear across the board. I think it's underfunded. I think that it is too expensive for most people to get. I think I, I, it is, if there is not a mental health crisis, I don't know what the hell you would call it, really. Mm-hmm. There's so much. And it starts at such a young age that it's ridiculous. In the United States, it is estimated that more than one in five adults have suffer from mental illness in really? one way, shape, or form. <clears throat> yes. of children between the ages of 6 and 17, so about almost 8 million kids, also do. Wow, that's a large number. That's sad. 
that breaks my that breaks my heart. Yeah, that's really sad. But but where where the correlation is that's that's interesting that is often like there isn't a whole lot of overlay here is that when a person has a mental health crisis, it's almost always law enforcement that deals with them. It's not usually a therapist or a social worker or a psychiatrist or a case manager or a mental health professional. When that 911 call comes in, who responds? It's the police and an ambulance, yeah. It's almost always a cop. And these officers are not adequately adequately trained for this. Just to be a a case care provider, a case manager or a care provider in the mental health field, you have to have a minimum, minimum of a bachelor's degree with continuing education in that field. Law enforcement officers don't even need to have an education. Right. You know, they you have just to go to the academy. Right. Right. So they're expected to do, you know, to handle these crises without training for it, which isn't fair. But but where does that what does that leave us? It leaves us a huge breakdown. Right. In right. providing resources to people that really need help. Yeah, because that's not fair to the person suffering and it's not fair to the officer either. No, nobody absolutely. is receiving. Absolutely. But then the flip side of it is, is that getting mental health help for people extremely difficult we i and i talk about this all the time people cannot afford the help that they need for their mental health disorders yeah we've talked talked about that in so many episodes about the cost of yeah receiving and it's my field so i know i know how much i get i charge i know how i know i know it is way expensive and if i had to pay even my fee for what I charge for what I do, I wouldn't be able to afford it. Right. No way. No way could I afford it for my children. I couldn't do it. And so that's one huge barrier, huge barrier to this. But then also there's a, a whole bunch of different laws and such put in place to what people's rights are as far as what you can make them do. So if someone is, let's just say, and I don't want to focus too much on on this and all the episodes, but it's something that most of us can relate to. You get called to, or law enforcement officers respond to a suicide attempt or ideation, right? They can't say, oh my gosh, this person needs help. I'm going to take them, you know, I'm going to take them to a psychiatric hospital or whatever, you know, or to, you know, this, the fifth floor of the, you know, I mean, whatever. Mm -hmm. I can't do that because then I'm taking away their rights. It's way easier to arrest someone Right. To keep them safe than it is to force mental health care on them that they can't afford. Yeah. Which is, that's a problem. I agree. It's a huge problem where people have to choose. Well, they don't even have a choice really of whether or not, you know, medication too. Medication. Medication is so expensive. Oh my gosh. And then you have all these times where people are off their medications because they can't afford it. They can't afford it. I mean, it's, and it's, it's unfortunate and it's a crisis that people have to choose between money or taking care of themselves. Right. You know, that's unfortunate. Paying rent or eating instead of receiving care that they need. So this is also why we can see, and, and it's ignorant to imply anything different. This is why we see, and the numbers reflect, statistics, studies, research, all validate this, that over 70% of our prison population are people who suffer from mental health disorders. Wow. 
Did not know that. And do you think that they're getting the treatment that they need no. in prison? No. Absolutely not. not. No. They probably, I mean, they probably do get... Like group therapy, maybe? The best that the prison system can offer, but that's not what prison is for. Prison is not a mental health facility. Right. It's not, you know, it's not. But but there is that overlap, and that's important to understand. Yeah. It's important to understand. The three most common diagnoses, mental health diagnoses in the United States right now are, you could probably guess these. Depression. Absolutely. Anxiety. Absolutely. PTSD. Oh, and P- yeah, yeah, okay. Those are the three most common. Again, people throw those words around, you know, like, like it's not as significant as it is. It is a big deal, y'all. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. Um, and th- those make up, I mean, the, the largest percentage of, of diagnoses. Wow. Yeah. So the only thing that really you can do if you, if you, if law enforcement officers or even me in my field, the only real thing that you can do to force somebody uh, to get a, a, an evaluation or to get help if they're suicidal specifically is, and you might've heard this term, I've used this term before, is you title someone. Right. And this is something that I take very, very, very seriously. Titling someone is where you basically, you say they're, they can't take care of themselves, they're a danger to themselves or other, they, they are not safe on the streets and they need to be involuntarily held at the hospital and undergo a psyche eval. That's usually what, like 48 hours? 72. Okay. Yeah. yeah. But if they can get in, if a, if a psychiatrist can get in and clear them before that, then it's not that long, but it, it cannot be longer than 72 hours. In the seven years that I've done this, I have only titled three people. Really? Yeah. It's, I take it very seriously. You are taking somebody's rights away. Right. Yes. I mean, and there was one, one girl specifically that I titled who was absolutely not only a danger to her, but her children and anyone that was around her. And, you know, we went to court because it was day three. And I was like, no, she is not safe. And we went to court and the judge was like, we cannot hold her. Right. We can't. So here's my question. So say she got out. <laughs> if they release her, can you title immediately again? No. Or is there like a waiting period before somebody can be titled again? I That's a great question. Because I wonder how that works. Like, could they walk out and be like... Titling you again, you know. Or I mean, it, is there like there's there's a lot, and we'll get into we'll get into the different different levels of of mental health facilities or whatever care that's out there. But generally, if that happens, because I do have clients that have been in psychiatric hospitals, you know, for five six days at a time, and they go several times a year. Really. Yeah. So clearly it's not working, but we're just going to keep doing the same shit over and over. Yeah. And not do, you know, coordinate care, continued care or whatever, which is another issue. Mm -hmm. You know? I mean, yeah. We could get into preventative care too. I mean, there's, we could go go into that for hours and hours. We could. We could. But, but titles are, I mean, it's, hard to do it's it's a tough thing to do and I, I hope that every other mental health professional takes it as seriously as I do it doesn't abuse that power of being because it's to do a that. really really big deal it's a really big deal but that's the only thing that that you can do you mm-hmm. can't 
force people to do things that people don't want to do. Autonomy, right? And we're huge proponents of, of autonomy. So, I mean, mental health and criminality, though, I mean, they go together far more than we like to even believe that they do. Right. Even as as prisons hard, uh, you know, like house a large population of mental health people, mental health illness, mental health facilities also house a large population of people with criminality or with criminal histories. Right. We've talked and, about that before, too, and, like, people, are you trying to use that to not go to prison? I mean, we So just... that's what I want to touch on just for, I mean, I don't want to get into, like, deep into these cases. I just want to give a couple examples because you're going to love this, the stuff that I have. The biggest example of this is a case that I have been infatuated with for years and years and years since, I mean, since I was in community college. And it is the Andrea Yates case. I was going to say, is it Andrea Yates? Yes. And her case has been so interesting to me. And I've talked about this in several other episodes also. Because I don't get it. I do not get it. I was a single mother of five kids. Working a full-time job. Going to school full-time. Busting my ass. Going. Operating on. Three hours of sleep a day with zero help from baby daddy. And... Never. And I mean, the level of stress and being overwhelmed and being just run super thin. What I mean, it was real. It was real. Not one time did I ever think about killing my kids. Mm -hmm. So it's super interesting to me. It's really interesting. Like at what, how do you get to that point? So anyway, she is, if you don't know, she is, I'm sure everybody knows. I feel like, yeah, if you... Or listening to this podcast, you probably know who Andrea Yates is. Yeah. <laughs> if you have a fascination with anything justice system, anything true crime, Unless you know the name. Living... You've heard the name Andrea Yates. Yeah. If you if you haven't been living under a rock, you know who this bitch is. Oh. <laughs> no, she really. I know. I have an opinion about her, though, so this will be interesting. I know that you do. And she's from Houston, Texas. She confessed to drowning her five children in their home bathtub on June 20th of 2021. Um, she exhibited severe postpartum. Twenty twenty one, two thousand one. I'm okay. sorry. You know, w- once we got into the twenty twenties, it was like we changed. We don't say two thousand and one. We say twenty blah, and it's messing <laughs> me up now. Going backwards. Thank you though for yes. that. It was two thousand. I was like, that does not sound accurate. That doesn't work. <laughs> she exhibited severe postpartum depression, postpartum psychosis, and schizophrenia. Um, in 2006, a Texas jury, um, found in her retrial, it wasn't her original trial, it was in the retrial, that she was not guilty by reason of insanity and she was committed by the court to a mental institution. So she was a mother of five kids. Their ages ranged from seven years old to six months old. And when she drowned them, she started with John, who is the oldest, he was seven, then Paul and Luke drowned them in their bathtub, then went and laid them in her bed. Then she drowned Mary, who was the six-month-old baby, and she just left her floating in the bathtub while Noah, the two-year-old, comes in and says, hey, mommy, what's, what's wrong with Mary? And then he realized, oh, crap, something isn't right, got scared, ran. She chased him down, brought him into the bathroom, into the bathtub, drowned him next to his six-month-old dead baby sister in the same bathtub. 
then left him floating in the bathtub, picked up the baby, went and put the baby in John, in his arms, in the bed, posed them, then calls the police and says, I need an officer here. 911, you know, I'm what's your emergency? I just need an officer. Can you mm-hmm. tell me what's going on? Just send an officer. She hangs up the phone. She calls her husband. He's at work. She says, you better get home. So, I don't know. Her mother-in-law was scheduled to be at the house in less than an hour to help her for the day, which is something that she did, you know, on a regular basis. But anyway, this is just a prime example of a woman who should be in prison. And they were actually seeking the death penalty for her. But rather, she's in a mental hospital. And I know that your opinion very is different on that, which yeah. is great. You, I know we normally are in agreement. I agree that she should be in a mental health facility. Mm, I, I disagree. I just think that there's so much hormones that occur when you have babies. Like, I have, I know lots of people that have had very up and down emotions after children. And I think that many kids that close, I don't feel like your body has a chance to stabilize. I know lots of people that have kids of that close in age that are. Well, I mean, that's where she's at, so it doesn't matter, but I disagree. I think. <laughs> I wish you could see her face. I, she's like so stunned that I. I just think, you know, a mother who's capable of doing that to her own children is capable of anything and being under the. Whatever. Anyway. She <laughs> got a riled. She, every year, like, she could get out. Mm-hmm. Um, every year she waives her annual right, annual right. So every annually, every year she gets to like go before a board and, or she has the opportunity to, to say, you know, I'm fixed. I can, I can be let out, but she waives her right every single year. But it is just right now that she's been approved by a certain church down there in Texas that she's going to start being let out for two hours on Sundays to attend church services and they're going to, I'm sure that they're going to start, you know, taking the steps towards her permanent release. But her attorney says that she's happy where she is and she wants to be there. So whatever. <laughs> so an insanity defense, <laughs> if you don't know this, it's, it's where the defendant admits their actions, admits that what they did was wrong, but asserts a lack of culpability of culpability based on mental illness. So it's classified as an excuse defense rather than a justification defense. Mm -hmm. So that's that. Another very, very famous case, and I'm going to, I am going to say this case without laughing, I promise. Now I'm laughing. (laughs) Uh, But I know what it is. Uh, Lorena Bobbitt. How did I know? (laughs) She made national headlines when she whacked off her then husband, Jane Wayne Bobbitt's penis with a kitchen knife in 1993. Yeah, she did. She she said threw it in the field. <laughs> she says that he came home and tried to rape her. Um, she was facing up to twenty years for malicious wounding, um, but she was found not guilty due to insanity, mm-hmm. and she was ordered to undergo a forty-five day evaluation at the state hospital, and then she was released. <laughs> She's just chilling somewhere. I mean, I haven't heard her name again lately, so I mean, she she's hasn't fine. And penises off. And he's fine too. He underwent a ten-hour surgery, and you know what he's doing now, right? Like he went on to have a very successful 
career in the porn industry. Shut up. I did not know that. Yes. Yeah. So it actually worked out well for him, too, because everybody's like, oh, I want to see what that looks I like. I kind of want to see what that looks like. That's disgusting. You're gross. <laughs> It's a joke. I don't. I don't watch porn. <laughs> and then, of course, there's John Hinckley Jr. Oh, you just made a crunchicle face. This is the man she who just made up a new word. I crunchicle. did. I'm good at that. This is the man who shot the the um, uh, President Reagan. Oh, yeah, in 1981. Sure. Anyway, he spent. 41 years, two months, and 15 days in a mentalist institution. Now he's free, but, I mean, so you can see the vast difference in, you know, like Lorena Bobbitt, who does 45 days, and John Hinckley, who does 41 years. Right. But a lot of people say that this, you know, this, this, I'm not guilty by reason of insanity that this defense is basically letting them off, right? But let me tell you, <laughs> if you murder someone or if you not murder, that's not a good that's not a good example. But if you do something and you get ordered to 10 years in prison, you know you're getting out in probably like four and a half years, right? With good behavior. Right. But if you get sentenced to a mental hospital, you don't know when you're getting out. Right. It's not like a... Light at the end of the tunnel, time no, to leave. You could be there 45 days. You could be there 41 years. That's the reason that I picked those two cases because you don't know. And and with HIPAA laws and with confidentiality and all of that, like we know very, very little about what happens inside institutions like this. We know very, very little. People don't get to come and visit you. You don't get to have people up in your, you know what I mean? Like you don't know. You don't know what you're getting into. So a mental hospital, also known as a psychiatric hospital, like there's tons and tons of different like names for these and there's little off branches to them also, right? Like there's inpatient treatment facilities, there's, you know, behavioral institutions, there's, there's all sorts, there's all kinds of them. Um, But they provide specialized inpatient care for, again, a variety of things, but we're talking about mental health conditions right now, so... They provide care and treatment for people with serious mental illnesses. So according to the National Institute of Mental Health, a serious mental condition is a, and I'm quoting this because I didn't want to say it wrong. Okay. National Institute of Mental Health, this is their definition. A serious mental illness is an mental, emotional, or behavioral condition leading to substantial impairment in a person's ability to function in their daily lives and activities. Interesting. Okay. Okay. So, so it could be a mental health issue. It could be a cognitive issue. It could, you know, it, it encompasses that too. It really? Okay. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. Do you want me to read it again? An impairment in a person's ability to function in their daily life and activities. So it's, it's not just mental health. It's, it can be mental retardation also. It's cognitive function also. Interesting. That's, well, we'll get into that later. Okay, so, so when, you, when you go to a place like this, depending on why a person goes will dictate the length of time that a person is there, generally speaking. Most of the time, people are in these places between like 3 to 14 days. 
And that's like the most common, like with clients that I've seen coming, come and go from those places. It's usually a week to two weeks. Right. The majority of people though, stay for serious mental illness, stay between six and 18 months. So they're, very, very few people, according to them, that need to stay longer, although I have heard absolute horror stories. Really? Yes. Yeah. Of people who have, like, gone there and not ever gotten out. I oh, mean, obviously, man. they have eventually gotten out, but... Been there for a very been there, long time. Yeah, that even I was like, um... Why I don't, were you there that why, long? Right, right. So the number one reading reason that people are there for short term stays, let me see if you can guess this. Suicide attempts. Eating disorders. Oh. I did not see that one coming because I, mean, I, I guess don't it know. is a mental I mean it's mental health. Yeah. It's a mental disorder. But again, in the seven years that I've done this, I don't think I've ever had a client with an eating disorder. Really? Because those Mm-mm. are very common. Yeah. Yeah, so that one, that one's kind of, I was like, whoa. I thought you were going to say, like, suicide attempts, depression. Well, that's what I would have guessed. I would have guessed, that's exactly what I would have guessed. Long-term stays, schizophrenia. Um, and the cost. The cost varies greatly between where you go, what state you're in, and what kind of funding that they get. Um, but the, I can't even do an average. Like, I looked up a lot of them in a lot of different states, and the best estimate that I can get is this is per day, four hundred to two thousand dollars a day? That is a huge range. Huge okay, so range. here's my question: Is that government funded, or is that no? You that's pay what it out you of your pay. pocket. That's what you pay. And does insurance usually cover things like that? In- it depends on your insurance. It depends yeah. on your policy. It depends on what you have. If you have state insurance, yes, they'll pay for it. Like. Um, what is it? Medicaid. Medicaid, Medicare. They'll pay for it. They'll cover it or a large portion of it. Um, but I have no idea. I know that very few insurance companies cover. Okay. I know it's hard to get like long-term care for like, like nursing homes. So I'm yeah. sure that that's like the case with long-term care in a, it's probably yeah. the same, same avenue. Right. I don't know. I don't know. So, but Mental health wasn't always like that. Like it, it didn't used to be that you could go for three days to three months or whatever, and then you were out. And this gets to the part that scares the hell out of you, right, Samantha? hundred <laughs> percent. So the first private mental health hospital in the United States was built in nine. Or I'm going to say numbers correctly now. Okay. 1753. Oh wow. Okay, and they were called asylums. Okay. And it was founded by a group of Quakers in Pennsylvania. Now, Pennsylvania, like Quakers, if you don't know, okay, Quakers were, like, they were good people. They were Christian, right? Or Protestant. Right, Protestant. Very, very religious. They refused to participate in war. They, you know, refused to swear oaths. They opposed slavery. Like, they were good people, Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they are the ones, I'm sorry, I'm, I was drinking pineapple juice before and it's making my throat like really scratchy. <laughs> <clears throat> and so they are the ones who, who built the first asylum um, and they called it Yearly Meeting of Friends. And it was built. Yeah, that sounds eerie. I don't like that. But it was meant to take care of people. 
But the yearly meeting of friends, that's know. freaky. I don't, I don't like that. And it was built on a 52-acre farm. It is still around today. <gasps> we should go. Oh, my gosh. Let's go. Stop. Right now. But it goes by the name Friends Hospital. Let's go look at it right now. I don't know if you're going to want to, Samantha, after you hear this. I so the like intentions of the asylum were very, very good. It was to care for people who couldn't care for themselves in a loving manner. Loving manner. But they put Benjamin Rush in charge of it. I know that name. Yes, you do. I'm sure you do. He was a physician who is referred to as the father, and, uh, father of modern psychiatry. Yeah, you just got it. <laughs> and he, he ran this hospital, okay? He believed in treating mentally Ill, pe- Ill patients with bludgeoning. <laughs> he thought the psychiatric, psychiatric disorders originated from hypertension in the blood vessels. Oh, interesting. And so it was thought that by removing blood from the body that it would ease the tension. Yeah, blood draining. But people would, the patients would absolutely calm down after he did it. Yeah. You know, more so because they just got the shit beat out of them. Well, that but, or they're like, need a cookie because their blood levels are so like, But so that low. fed his, like... His theory. His theory that this is, that it's working. That if I just bludgeon them and I beat them and make blood come out of them, then, you know, then they're not going to have their mental, their mental illness anymore. Ah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yeah. So so that's the way that people were treated that were in that were in the in this assailant asylum that was built to love and care for them, okay? But it quickly filled up, it became dirty, it had deplorable conditions, and patients were regularly abused and neglected. They were put in closets, they were chained to the walls, they were poor fedly, and they were beaten, obviously. Sounds like, um, have you ever seen the movie Midsommar? No. Yeah, don't watch it. Yeah, I don't watch crap like that. Yeah, it's terrifying. Don't ever Ugh. watch it. Do you know what a lobotomy is? Yes. Through okay. your eye, right? So, if, for those that don't know what a lobotomy is, it's a form of neurological treatment that basically severs the connections in the prefrontal, prefrontal cortex in your brain. Brains freak me so out. So, it's a big deal. It's not, it's, a, it's brain surgery, okay? It's a big deal. Okay, this was a very, very common procedure in insane asylums. Some of the most reported cases comes from some of the best known institutions out there, right? In the early 1900s. <laughs> if you could see Samantha's face right now. I'm just thinking of every scary movie I've ever but, watched. But let's be clear here, okay, Samantha? We're not talking about once upon a time. We're not talking about colonial times right now we're talking about 30 years ago before this shit stopped okay we have Mm -hmm. documented evidence of stuff that was happening the year that you were born i don't like that so assailants in salem asylums even though they started taking them down and started intervening like there wasn't this big mental health push and fairness to people who did not deserve to be treated the way that they were treated until like the 80s wow which was not that long ago. So we're not talking about things that were forever ago. I'd like to point out that I was not born in the 80s. No, I know I know, that. I'm just I, know, <laughs> I know. Okay, so one of the places that I want to talk about is Willowbrook State School. This is also another interesting fact. Sorry, I keep getting sidetracked here. 
is a lot of these insane asylums are where they once were are now part of college universities. Oh, I do not so like, like that. where Columbia is and a lot of college Ohio State University those are built a- around where these insane asylums once were. Which Ooh, if you believe in ghosts, think about the ghosts. Uh, okay, so Willowbrook State School once stood on the grounds of New York Staten Island. Now it's replaced with the College of Staten Island. Blech. Cute. So this was a facility that was state-supported, and it was an institution with children with intellectual disabilities. We just talked about that, about how that is a mental disorder. Okay. A mental, and not an, in, in, not an illness, but a disorder, okay? Originally, the building was designed to be a clean, safe home for only 4,000 patients. Only, only 4,000 mm-hmm. patients. That's a lot of patients. That is a lot of people, especially back then, right? But it held over 6,000 patients. Oh, even cuter. Yeah. These children, and keep it, these are children. These are children with cognitive delays. Children. Emphasis on children. The children who had the misfortune of staying in this place were sexually, physically, and medically abused, extremely neglected, and easily exposed to murder. Actual murder. Okay? There is a record of one, of the lead doctor there. His name was Dr. Krugman. Force-feeding these kids hepatitis virus <gasps> in milkshakes to 60 healthy children. His reasoning for doing this was that the children were going to suffer from hepatitis anyway. So you might as well just get it over with. And if we get rid of these 60, then they'll make room for more. What the hell? Okay. This place was open for 37 years. From 1938 until 1975. 1975. That was 48 years ago. Pick your job. See what? Here's another thing. Does the name Andre Rand ring a bell to you? Kinda. He's a serial killer. Well, he's a suspected serial killer. He's also referred to as Cropsy. No, uh-uh. you're going to have to look this guy up, okay? I'm sure when you start talking about it. He was convicted it. kidnapper of two children and a suspected serial killer. He's currently serving two 25-to-life sentences in prison. He was a custodian at this place. Oh, even better. And after it shut down is when he began kidnapping kids, killing them, and leaving them in the dirt. Sure, after. I'm exactly. Sure. Okay. Exactly. When there were all of these deaths you know, in this place and right. Yeah. And he just like left the essentially like an open buffet of children that he could just like, and I then hate, decided he was I going to do I hate the that. way you just put that, but it was put perfectly. But I mean, that's, right. it's a gross way of saying it, but it's right. for a serial killer in their mind. Absolutely. And that was his, that was who he wanted. I mean, he, that was his target people. Ugh. Okay. So the second place is the Athens Asylum, oh my gosh, Asylum. And it was super, super welcoming. At This was after the Civil War. It helped patients with anxiety, epilepsy, PTSD, high libidos. The, I mean, anybody was welcome. <clears throat> it had a garden, farm fields, greenhouses, carriage shop, a dairy, orchards. It was beautiful. It was absolutely beautiful. And it was, it was designed... To make, to like benefit the people, you know, like use this whole concept before it was a concept and had a name of echotherapy, right? Mm, like okay. beautiful grounds, 
and it was going to be, you know, amazing for clients to get their treatment here, right? <laughs> yeah, right. What they did was, is all this beautiful land, they would make their patients work the land mm -hmm. and keep it perfect constantly, but like in a really, really inhumane way. It had over 2,000 patients there, which was three times over its capacity. The number of As the number of patients increased, the number of staff stayed the same. Most of the staff that were there had no training whatsoever in the field. And so that obviously related into or resulted in horrible treatment, misdiagnosed patients, lobotomies left and right, and shock therapy. Patients were neglected, beaten, placed in crowded rooms. Rooms that were only meant to hold one, they would throw 10 people in. It's Your horrible. face. It's awful, but it gets worse. The things that the staff did to in the female ward, you're going to absolutely die when you say this. Women who would, who would naturally exhibit signs of sexual desire would be later diagnosed with hysteria. Because it was filthy for a woman to want sex. No, because men are the only ones that should ever want and sex. And it was absolutely filthy. And it was actually considered a disorder back then for a woman to masturbate. So they believed, the doctors there believed, that these women were sick. And when they would have their menstrual cycle, thought that they were like... that they, Oh my gosh, what did they call it? They thought it was dirty. And it was unnatural and that these women were hysteria, were going through like hysteria and they were treated with freezing, shock therapy, kicking, and sometimes lobotomy. Because they, because they had masturbated and, and got yeah. a period. Yes. Like 99.9% .9 of women in the This world. asylum was not closed until 1993. The Ohio University was built there afterwards. 1993? Yes, ma'am. Okay, next one. Danvers State Hospital. And I just picked like, you know, like the top three. Like there's millions of stories here. This was built in the 19th century in Massachusetts. And you're going to like this. In the same place where the Salem Witch Trials judge John Hawthorne once lived. Mm -hmm. Isn't that creepy? Yeah. That's super creepy. It was only meant for 600 patients, but it ended up housing 2,400 patients. Hmm, so we've got a trend going. Right, right. Low staff count, which, I mean, we've seen um, over and over and over again, right? And they did the same kind of treatments that others did. Shock therapy, lobotomies, beatings. Um, but this asylum was the first to operate the transorbital lobotomy, where what you said in the beginning, where the ice pick is inserted through the eye socket and into the brain. Ugh. Eventually, the hospital started keeping patients such as the elderly, women who, who had um, children that didn't want to take care of them anymore, menti mentally disabled, alcoholics, drug mm. addicts, and insane criminals. The staff used treatments like shock therapy, lobotomies when they didn't need to. And it was just so that they could, like I said in the last one, keep their numbers under control. Due to the extreme neglect, patients started dying there. But staff wouldn't notice a lot of the time because they were understaffed and there were so many people there. They wouldn't notice that somebody was dead until sometimes days later. <clears throat> yeah. But their cruelty didn't end there. The doctors who were using lobotomy to cure anything. 
from natural ailments such as daydreaming to backaches, delusions, and depression. Visitors described how dirty the patients were, how they were creepily wandering the halls and sometimes blankly staring at the walls. Some of the patients weren't even suffering from anything and the extremity of their treatments is what absolutely sent them insane. As the asylum of course was shut down and its buildings demolished, some patients left the asylums while others will spend eternity under there because they died and they were buried underneath there. That's so sad. Yeah. That's the way that we treated people. That's the way that we treated mental illness. And it was not that long ago. I mean, I just read the dates of, of when these places were closed. Right. And so I, I think that it would probably be somewhat ignorant to believe that some of those practices don't still exist. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, I would love to see the inside of these places just to see it because it's my field, right? Right. And because I think that there's much to, to learn from that. But I picked one for you to see. What? I did. And it's one, it's actually on a ghost tour. I, <gasps> oh, I love ghost tours. <laughs> and I'm going to feed into this for a second, okay? Hey, give it just to me. for a second. Give it to me. But they actually do ghost tours on here. And this is my number one pick for you. Okay. okay, where am I going? So if you, oh, you're, you'll go? Like I'm I would gonna, go. Okay, we're I down. Go, I have a thing where I like to go on a ghost tour in like every, every state. So. Okay, here we go. This is going to be my pick for Samantha. Do, 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 do. I'm dragging you with. No, I'm not going. Oh, you're going. Okay, Rolling Hills Asylum. Originally, it was called the Guinness Country Poor Farm. And it was created as a, quote, poorhouse. Interesting. This is also another reason that people were sent to asylums back For being then. poor? Yes. The term was Shoot. used throughout the 19th and early 20th centuries. <laughs> I know. I know. To describe state-run um, compounds that housed orphans, the poor, oh, petty orphans. criminals. Yep. Orphans make me sad. Mm-hmm. Like in the, stuff like this. Stop. I'm not done. I'm Listen sorry. to where you're going. Oh. I'm going to start over. It housed orphans, the poor, petty criminals, the mentally ill, and anyone else deemed unfit for mainstream society. Me. Just kidding. Those are the people that went and lived in these conditions. I'm uncomfortable, so I make jokes. While such asylums were created to protect the vulnerable, they often ended up marginalizing them even further, honestly. The residents were called inmates, regardless of the reason that they lived in the poorhouse. Able-bodied inmates are required to work the land, care for the animals, and sustain the community. Many spent the remainder of their lives inside, where up to 1,700 documented deaths at Rolling Hills, and likely many more went unnoticed and unrecorded. Those who died were buried in unmarked graves on the property. Today, visitors can spend hours at the site, participating in various tours and exploring the once-populated farm. Many claim experience various creeping paranormal activity ranging from the disembodied voices and doors forced shut to screams in the night and flickering shadow people. Mm. And also, Where is you that? can spend the night there mm, if you so that. choose. I don't love that. Something I want to read, um, Nellie Bly. Yes. So if you don't know who that is, she was a reporter in the um, late 1800s. Yep. Who purposely got herself admitted yes. into 
And I just Googled she, it because I can't remember where it was. The Women's Lunatic Asylum. She went to several of them, and she is actually the one who went in on the first one that I read about, mm-hmm. and that doctor um, that would uh, that poison the kids, uh-huh. put the hepatitis, she's the one who busted him. Really? Yeah, she was phenomenal. She did 10 days, and that one's on Blackwell Island mm-hmm. in New York, and mm-hmm. she, like, wrote an entire book about she the things. Did. And I would love to read that and do maybe, like, later on, like, an episode about her. You would cry. I would, 100%. I learned about her because I've mentioned it before. I love the show American Horror Story. Ugh. And they have a season called Asylum. Yeah, they do. Creeped and me out the first five minutes and I turned it off. Yeah, so I watched all of that. And because I like to scare myself. I love scary movies. I mean, you, we all know that I'm into stuff like this. And a lot of their things, like our Axeman episode, are their characters are based on real things that happen in America. Mm-hmm. And so I Googled <laughs> what that was about and she popped up. So I had done a little bit of research on her and... Think about how scary, like, you purposely, oh. especially 1887. And you don't know if you're getting out. You don't know. I mean, it's super, super scary. But, you know, <clears throat> I have a client right now who was institutionalized and sent to, when she was a kid, um, sent to, they weren't called asylums back then, but, like, state-run programs. <clears throat> and they did shock therapy on her. Really? I... I thought she was joking when she first told me that. And she's she's younger than you. Really? Yes. And they did it. And when she described it, and I was like, no way. That's like a thing of... That you see like, in a movie. The past past. It is not. Oh. It is not. And And you can get online and you can Google, you know, just mental hospitals and people stays there. You'll never see a video from inside one that's no. actual. You won't because of confidentiality and rules and laws or whatever. But there are absolute horror stories of people. There was one lady that was in for 10 years for personality disorder. Wow. Why in the hell is she in a state hospital for 10 years for a personality disorder? Right. Well, and I think that's why um, Bly's book would be so interesting, though, because... It's the closest thing then, like, to, like, a real detailed report for that many places. It would be interesting to do now. I mean, I think that now you would probably get prosecuted for fraud for doing it and utilizing yeah. resources that, Aren't I mean, it would, be, it would be fraud. But, and, again, who has, you know, $2,000 a day. Right. To do that, to go undercover and do it. But it it would definitely be interesting. But, so, Samantha, did you like your episode? I think you did a really good job researching. Um, I had a suspicion things like that happened, but you looked into way more like asylums than I've ever looked into. So that mm-hmm. was really interesting. It terrifies me. I'm so scared yes. of stuff like that. Yeah. And it's so sad that I didn't realize it happened so far into the current age, but. Which probably makes it more scary for you. Yes. Thank you for that. I definitely appreciate that. Yeah. It's it's pretty difficult to get into those places now. And I would like to do later an episode on kids and addiction and getting them help like this because that is a whole different ball game. Really? Yeah. Well, I'd be interested too in um what I you know the movie Shutter Island? No. You've had to have seen the movie Shutter Island. I have not seen the movie Shutter Island. What is wrong with you? Well, that is about a guy that thinks he's there investigating an asylum. And 
like runs away well then he at the end of the movie if you don't want to know fast forward 10 seconds the end of the movie finds out that he's actually insane and has been in there for killing his family oh the entire time but has the entire time been thinking that he's an officer investigating the facility the place that that took place is a real insane asylum that you can go and tour i just can't remember which one it is oh man yeah it's fascinating it's interesting how we how we view it and how far we've come but really how far we still have yet to come right because it's it's a big deal so that's my episode on insane asylum thank you for bringing that thank you for you doing that research so that I didn't have to do that research because yeah, I, I would have seen you. I'm sure you saw other things that I probably didn't want to read more of. Yeah, a hundred percent, hundred percent. And we're gonna go to that place, and okay. we'll do a we'll do a live from that one. Yeah, that'd be cool. Okay, thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Stay safe.